one, reaping the guilty. I stood in the doorway of my father's bedroom. He was standing in front of the mirror, slowly tying his tie. His face was prematurely wrinkled and long, burdened by weighty sadness. I can remember a happier him, a time when his skin was vibrant and his lips were quick to smile. But now, his skin is ashen, his lips gray. The vibrancy has long left his body, and his soul is only left to rattle inside the empty shell. He sighs deeply, turns, and shrugs into his jacket. Our eyes meet and he gives me a grim smile. I smile back, but he doesn't acknowledge it. I don't think he has the capacity to feel the warmth of a smile anymore. I don't think he has the ability to feel anything. My black dress matches the solemnity of his suit, the only commonality we seem to share now. I am his daughter, and he is my father. We have become estranged. He sighs again, as if living is now an effort for him. Everything is an effort for my father. He works on our farm, but it's as if his body is on autopilot, merely doing what it remembers. Yet my father is not truly present. I step aside as he pats my head while leaving the room. I inhale deeply the old man's cologne he wears. Following behind him at a discreet distance, I enter the living room. My mother stands at the window, looking out but seeing nothing, as if the glass pane is impenetrable. If my father and I are dressed grimly, my mother is dressed for mourning. My eyes go to the turned-down picture frame on the table next to her. I walk over and upright the picture. My mother bursts into tears. My father walks over to me, his strong fingers seizing my shoulders. I return the picture frame to its original position, feeling admonished, embarrassed, guilty. My father drives, and we are all silent inside the moving tomb of wheels and steel. My mother smells of mothballs. The scent clings to her clothes. I wonder if the mothballs prevent both her clothes and her soul from getting moldy. It's hard to breathe. I feel trapped here with them. I want out, but there is no way out. They cling to me so tightly, too tight, but it's to keep me safe and alive. They are killing me. They've already lost one daughter. They refuse to lose me. While they won't lose me, I am losing myself. I am losing myself. It starts to rain. My fingers trace the trickles down the window until they disappear. I wonder where the lines of water are going. I want to follow them. I wake up to my father gently shaking me awake. Come on, Sammy, he says warmly, pushing his glasses up on his nose. His eyeballs are pinkish from crying. We exit the car inside a large iron fence outside an industrial complex. My father takes my hand into his big paw, and I squeeze his hand to reassure him. I don't know why I do this. It's pure instinct. My mother doesn't hold my hand. She keeps her distance from us, distance from life. We are met at the door by a uniformed correctional officer. He doesn't meet our eyes, just barely glancing in our direction. He is just doing his job. When we step inside the building, we are immediately met with a line that spills out into the corridor like a coiled serpent. We become the tail and shuffle forward like sheep. I step out of line to stand beside my father, half expecting one of the guards to storm by and shove me back in place. Surprisingly, they don't. This line is left to its own devices, avoided. From my vantage point, I can only stare at the back of heads, watch the hunched shoulders. Every now and then, someone moves just right, and I catch the profile of their face, sad, drawn. They could have been related to my father, not by blood, but by burden. It seems to take a lifetime, but finally, the end is in sight. A family quite like ours is in front of us. The mother is sobbing softly, annoying me as it makes me think of my own mother, 
and her incessant sobbing. Always sobbing, like her pain is so much more than ours. Maybe it is. Maybe it should be. The family in front is a mother, a father, two young boys, and a boy my age. They all have the same red hair. Not the pretty auburn hair, but the harsh, dull orange that is somehow displeasing even though it's just hair. They are pale. Naturally pale, sure. But even paler than that. The kind of pale that comes from shock. One of them, a boy my age, suddenly looks over his shoulder at me, and I melt. He is awkward-looking. Freckled-faced, round-faced, sad-faced, but he has the prettiest green eyes. Awkward-looking indeed, but I melt because he looks haunted. In that moment, I feel understood. His bottom lip quivers. I think he might cry. I lift my hand in a little wave, and his eyes harden, going cold. He violently turns away. They are ushered off to the right. I notice that I am still holding up my hand mid-wave, and I lower it. There is a long table at the end with three uniformed guards behind it, but only one, the woman in the middle, seems to be working. She is the first to make eye contact. She is the only one that does. She asks my father for his driver's license. He fishes it out of his wallet and hands it to her. She scans carefully, as if my father may be a master counterfeiter. She looks up at him, and her eyes change. They soften. She passes the license to the officer on her right, a man. He glances at the license and does a double-take. They know, I think. The man jumps up and rounds the corner. He returns my father's license, but he is extra careful not to look him in the eyes. Very few people, once they know, have the courage to look us in the eyes. I hate this. It makes me realize how different I am. We are ushered to the left. We walk a short distance down a maze of halls, the lighting getting brighter the further we advance until we reach a door stenciled with only invited visitors beyond this point. Invited visitors seems weird to me. I whisper the words to myself. Still weird. The officer raps lightly on the door twice, then before leaving, he leans into my dad and says, Sorry for your loss. He says the words with the compassion of someone saying, Excuse me, as they swiftly brush past you in a hall. My mom sobs. I clench my teeth. Reflexively, my father says, Thank you, but the guard is already halfway down the hall. Father doesn't mind. He is accustomed to accepting condolences. It was like receiving unwanted gifts for the rest of your life. Thank you, he says again. Thank you. I repeat for no reason. I do a lot of things for no reason. Nobody cares. We are ready for you, a voice calls from the other side of the door. We enter as a family. The room is small. There is another long metal table with a few manila folders piled atop it. There is only one chair, and it is on the opposite side. The walls are painted a sickly pea green. To my right, the wall is completely covered by a large mirror. One-armed cameras hang obtrusively from every corner of the ceiling. My father remains stoic, a pillar of strength. My mother, on the other hand, looks to be on the verge of fainting. She is the weakest link, the domino that can start the great fall that never ends. Silently, I pray that she doesn't fall. Don't fall, I silently beg. At least not yet. Desperate people in other parts of the building reach out, yelling, screaming, cursing, reaching out from all directions, from somewhere in the distance. Their misery is ever-present, encroaching tentacles seeking to latch onto something and pull into their mosh pit of hopelessness. I can feel the hate calling to the hate inside of me. A petite woman with graying hair drawn into a severe bun enters the room, her heels click-clacking on the floor. Hello, she smiles, her eyes dropping to me. 
She has kind eyes. It won't be long. Mercifully, she was correct. A side door opens from the opposite end of the mirrored wall, and a man in an orange jumpsuit enters, escorted by two men. He is pushed down into the chair, and his handcuffs are linked to the bars on the table. He was boyishly handsome with an easy smile, the air of a man who took little in life seriously. If I'm here for a good time, not a long time, were a person, it would be him. Tattoos rose from beneath the collar of his jumpsuit, winding up his neck. He was trying to play it cool, but his eyes betrayed him. He was afraid. His eyes bounced from person to person, searching wildly like a trapped animal. One of his escorts stepped forward, took my dad aside, and spoke to him in hushed tones. I look at the man in the jumpsuit. He's staring bewildered at his chained hands. Then, as if flipping a switch, his eyes lurch to me. We stare at each other, each daring the other to break first. Don't you look at her! My father booms, slamming his fist down on the table. The fury emanating from my father caused me to jump. The man in orange shrank back. My mother swoons. I can't, she said, rushing from the room. A domino teetering. My father is vibrating. I am glad my mother isn't here to see him getting worked up even more. He is heaving like a beast. If she saw this, she would only distance herself more. She has been traumatized enough for now. The man who spoke to my father places a manila folder on the table. They try to shield me as much as possible, but I see the picture. It is a picture of the same girl in the frame that lies face down in my house. My eyes vaulted to the prisoner. He is leaning as far away from the folder as his constraints will allow, as if afraid the contents will leap from the page, wrap around his neck, and strangle him. The same fate of the girl in the picture, my sister Sarah. I don't mourn her. How can you mourn a person when it feels like they have never left? It's strange. I don't have memories of her anymore as if they are snowflakes melting in my grasp. It is as if she is laughing as I try to capture her. Or is she crying? I don't know because I shut those sounds off in my head as quickly as I can. I don't know where she has gone, but I am terrified of being pulled there. I stare at the prisoner now. He has become the reason we are dominoes. The reason for the distance. The reason we don't live. The folder contains all the evidence they've gathered that condemns him. Every piece serving as receipts for the price we've paid dearly. And now, he belongs to us.